0: If you are new to Karen Community Church, welcome. I do not normally preach in jerseys, but I am a long-suffering Lions fan, so there's a few of us out there, and I've, yes, I figure, (laughs) I figure if God has helped me persevere this long, it's okay to wear my jersey on Sunday morning, but um, I'm a much bigger fan of Jesus Christ and of God's word. So, why don't you grab a Bible and open it to 2 Kings chapter 5, because God's Word is the true reason that we are here this morning. Um, The, if you're grabbing a Bible from the basket, the post-it notes did not get moved this morning. So, if you have a blue Bible, go to page 316. Page 316. If you do not have a blue Bible, then you're on your own. Um... But Second uh, Kings comes before the post-it note in your Bible, if that helps, okay? So Second Kings chapter 5, it's page 316. Now, we are in the middle of a series of, called The Story and learning to understand the Bible as one continuous story, not just a whole bunch of little stories, but one continuous story of God and of people. How God created us, how he still relates to us, how he works in our world. And our prayer during this time has been, do you guys remember? Lord, build our lives on your word. Yeah. Because God's word is the truth that is eternal. Does not shift and change. And it is a firmest foundation for which to build our lives. But we can't build our lives on God's word if we're not reading it, if we're not listening to it. So um, we're not trying to read the whole Bible in eight months, but we do have a tool called the Story that we've been using. Michelle just mentioned it not long ago. It's a it's a book. If you don't have a copy of it one yet, and it basically it just takes passages from each book of the Bible, and it kind of highlights from each book of the Bible, and then has little summary statements to help you understand the full story of the Bible. So we still have a few copies in the lobby, they're $5, or you can just listen to it for free. We have a link on our website homepage, okay? But we want to make sure we are listening and reading the Word of God, okay? And I know, this happened in my family, but we were doing really good with our readings until the holidays hit, and um, so now it's time to get back in the habit again. All right, We want to finish this series strong. The past week, in the story, um, the chapter had Bible passages from first and second kings, Amos and Hosea. And they were all passages about four prophets. From first kings, you read about Elijah. From second kings, you read about Elisha, and then Amos and Hosea was about the prophets Amos and Hosea. Today we're going to look at the life of Elisha, um, Elijah's successor, and what God did through his ministry. And we're going to look at three miracles Elisha performed that all have to do with gaining spiritual sight, meaning being able to see what God is doing around you. How many of you would like to be able to see what God is doing in your life and around you? Yeah, me too. So that's what we're going to learn about today. Um, Just to review, beginning of the Bible, God creates the world good. He gives it to humans. We break it. We mess it up. And then we are just stubborn and we keep ignoring his instructions on how to fix it. So God finds one guy named Abraham who's willing to listen. And God says to Abraham, if you follow me, I'm going to lead you to a land And there, I will make your descendants into a great nation. And through this nation, I am going to bring a light that will bless all people. That will show people the good and right way to live. So they can be at peace with each other and with God. And so Abraham, he follows God to the land of Canaan. And there, his family begins to multiply. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons with four different women. That's a whole other story. Um, But those 12 sons then become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they settle in what's modern day Israel. Um, I think we have a map of that too. Their first king is King Saul. I don't know how well you can see it in the map, but kind of like the middle yellow area. That was king saul's kingdom and then the green is where the next king king david He expanded the kingdom of israel And then david's son solomon. He didn't really expand the borders But some other nations started to bring tribute and that's shown in that kind of pinkish purplish area up above so um, Solomon was david's son He imposed really harsh taxes and forced labor on the people of israel So after he died, the elders of Israel went to his son, Rehoboam, and said, If you lessen our burden, we'll follow you. And Rehoboam said, I'm going to be worse. I'm going to be much harsher than my dad. And so they're like, forget you. And so (laughs) that's like my great summary of ancient history. Um, But Israel split then into two nations. They had a civil war. They split into two nations. And um, the tribe of Judah... That's where David was from. And so they remained loyal to David and his sons. And his sons remained the kings of Judah. The northern tribes kept the name Israel. And they had kings who all worshipped idols and who were all evil. But God did not give up on Israel. Even though the people were worshipping golden calves and bales and asherah poles and all kinds of other things. And he would send prophets to them to try to woo them back into a relationship with the one true God. And so Elisha was one of those prophets. And we're going to read from 2 Kings 5 about how God uses Elisha to try to woo Israel and also another nation, the nation of Aram. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is modern-day Syria, so this is just north of Israel. And, and they often fought with Israel. They were not friends. Niman was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel. He would cure him of his leprosy. I just want to pause for a moment and talk about unsung heroes of the Bible. This little girl has no name. But man, does she have compassion. She's taken as, she's captured as a girl, taken as a slave. And I could very well see her watching Naaman come down with leprosy and being like, serves you right. This is God's judgment on you. But instead she has compassion. And she shares the good news with him about the God who can save him. It reminds me of the story of St. Patrick. Are you familiar with St. Why we actually celebrate St. Patrick's Day? (laughs) Patrick, when he was 16, he was captured from Britain and taken as a slave to Ireland. And for six years he was a slave in Ireland and then by God's miracle he escaped and someone helped him get back to Britain. And he enrolled in seminary to study, to become go in the ministry, which his family was quite happy about, until he told them he was going to go back to Ireland to be a missionary. And no one could believe he would go back to the very people who enslaved him. But he did. Patrick realized that they themselves were enslaved, and so he brought the good news of the God who could set them free. And that's what this girl does. She has compassion on her slave masters and tells them the good news of the God who can save them. And she must have been a really good servant because they believe her. I think, you know, if she was disgruntled and always complaining and not cooperative and whatever, you know, if she told them about Elisha, they wouldn't have trusted her. But she must have been really trustworthy because they actually believed what she said. So next verse, verse 4. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Could you imagine that, going to your king and saying, hey, there's a slave girl? (laughs) This is what she told me. Verse 5. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone for me to cure them of leprosy? Do you see how this guy is trying to pick a quarrel with me? He just thinks this is a pretext for war. You know, if he can't cure this guy, then the king of Aram is going to attack. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, He sent him this message. Why have you torn your ropes? Have a man come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. There's a little sarcasm in this message that Elisha sends to the king of Israel. Elisha had been ministering for quite some time. He had performed many miracles through God, was quite famous, famous enough that the slave girl knew about him. He had even met the king of Israel on a battlefield when they were lost in the desert and about to die of thirst. And Elisha prays and God brings rain and delivers the army of Moab into their hands. So the king of Israel, he knows who Elisha is. And there's a little sarcasm here. And I think maybe a little sadness. Elisha's like... Well, send the foreigner to me, so at least he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. How sad that the king of Israel did not know that. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. (laughs) But Naaman went away angry. And said, I thought surely he would come out and meet me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farpar, there we go, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. I think I think Naaman's angry here for a few reasons. Um, he's clearly insulted, right? Like he is a very important man who's traveled a long way with a lot of money, and Elisha doesn't even come to meet him. Like he is not expecting to be met by a messenger. E- Naaman also has expectations of how God is going to heal him, right? Yes, the prophet is going to come perform the ceremony all this stuff I think he's also just insulted because it kind of he's like seriously You just want me to bathe. Do you think I don't bathe at home? You, You know, there's a little bit of that going on and the jordan is not a nice river It is very muddy river. So, um, for all of these reasons, he just gets very angry Next verse verse 13 Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But the prophet Elisha answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Naaman goes down in the water and he is raised up to new life he is healed and cleansed not only physically but spiritually he is now able to understand spiritual things he was not able to understand before he now is where before he's a pagan it probably was no big deal for him to come to israel and ask israel's god for healing because pagans worshipped a lot of gods And he went to this god for this and this god to this. Oh this god heals. Okay, i'll go and Give tribute to that god, right? But he gets baptized And when he comes up out of the water, he understands there's no other god This is the only one And he has faith and he's grateful And so he comes back to Elisha. And now Elisha will meet with him. Why does Elisha meet with him after he's healed and not before? I think Elisha wants no credit for the miracle. He wants Naaman to know, to know, to know, to know that he is healed by God alone. And so Elisha is as hands-off as possible. He doesn't meet him. He's not even present for the miracle that's going to happen. He wants Naaman to truly know the gospel. It's the same gospel we hear preached in the New Testament. You are saved not by ritual ceremonies and charismatic priests and prophets, not by bribing gods to have favor with you, Not by any good works you do. You are saved simply when you seek God in faith. And ask him to cleanse you through the act of baptism. And then God will raise you up to new life. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and you begin to understand and know spiritual things that you could not even comprehend before. That's what happens to Naaman. Naaman. And so Elisha, he meets with him, but again, he's not going to take any credit. He's not going to take any gifts at all. And then Naaman says something very, very interesting. The next verse, verse 17, he says, if you will not accept any gifts, please let me, your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt sacrifices and offerings to any other God, but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant this one thing. When my master, the king, enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha says. This is fascinating. Because everything else we read in the Bible says that it's not okay (laughs) to go into the temple of another god and bow down. In a few weeks, we'll get to the stories of uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were Israelites who were captured and became advisors who served foreign kings, just like Naaman served a foreign king. And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the king of Babylon says, you got to bow down to this golden statue I made, they won't do it. And the king gets angry, throws them in the fiery furnace. God saves them. They come out of the fiery furnace. They don't even smell like smoke. Daniel, when the king of the Medes and Persians says, you can't pray to your God, you can only pray to me. Daniel still prays to God. He gets thrown in the lion's den. God shuts their mouths and saves them. Why is God not requiring that kind of faith of Naaman? Scholars debate this. I think the most straightforward answer is the simplest answer. And that's because Naaman is a brand new believer who has faith in God. He knows there's only one true God. But he has no theology. Unlike Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo, he was not an Israelite. He was not raised with any knowledge of the scriptures. He does. He knows nothing about proper sacrifices to the Lord. He's just a pagan who became a monotheist. That's that's what Naam knows. And he knows there's no God except the God in Israel. But he still thinks that God is only in Israel. Did you catch that? That's why he wants to take earth from Israel to Aram where he lives. Because if he sacrifices in Aram, he thinks, well, the God of Israel isn't even going to see it. So I have to bring some earth from Israel and sacrifice on the earth from Israel. He thinks they the only God is geographically located in Israel. And so that's why he also, you know, he doesn't have any kind of faith that when I'm in the temple of this foreign God, that the God of Israel can protect him there. And Elisha, he just knows that this is not the time to correct all of Naaman's bad theology. Which is astonishing to me, because if I'm Elisha, I'm like, Man, you're going back to Iran. There is nobody there who worships the Lord. we got to have a Bible study right now. You know, like before you go back, spend two weeks with me and we're going to teach you some stuff. Elijah's not like that. He trusts that God will be faithful to complete the good work he started in Naaman's life. And he trusts that the Holy Spirit is just going to teach Naaman what he needs to know as he needs to know it. How? I don't know. Probably through that little slave girl. I'm guessing Naaman comes back and she is elevated to a high position and she's going to have lots of opportunity to teach people about the Lord. But Elisha, he knows that when someone is a brand new believer, it's not the time to overwhelm them with all the commands of God. And he trusts God to teach Naaman when it is the right time. So the story goes on, Naaman goes back, and um, Elisha's servant, Jahazi, does something really stupid. Jahazi's like, I can't believe that he not only cured this foreigner, but he doesn't even charge him anything. You know, he lets him off too easy. So Jahazi runs after Naaman, and he lies. And he says, uh, Elisha changed his mind, could we please have some gifts? Naaman is happy to oblige. He loads Jahazi up. Jahazi goes back, hides the stuff, waltzes back into Elisha's house like nothing happened. And he's like, Elisha's like, dude, where you been? And Jahazi's like, oh, nowhere. <laughs> right? And God's answer to Jahazi, um, through Elisha, is basically, you wanted what Naaman had. Okay, you can have it. You can keep the stuff. But you get everything Naaman had, including his skin disease. I think God takes very seriously um, the way mature Christians, mature believers, those who should know better, treat people who are seeking God, who are new in the faith. The next story starts at the top of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. The company of prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan River, where each of us can grab a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will Elisha replied and he went with them They went to the jordan and began to cut down trees One of them was cutting down a tree As one of them was cutting down a tree the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my lord He cried out It was borrowed The man of god asked where did it fall? When he showed him the place elisha cut a stick threw it in and made the iron float Lift it out," he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. I um, I love Elisha's response to this story. This is this is towards the beginning of the Iron Age that Elisha lived, so iron was very valuable and not that easy to come by. And the fact that this was borrowed, I mean, this is this is a significant problem. It's not like he can go to Lowe's and just replace it, you know. Um. But what what strikes me funny about this story is I understand why he kind of like initially freaks out But why doesn't he just go and get it? You know it I mean if you're chopping wood right and you got your you got your axe and the handle breaks You don't just keep chopping for another two minutes before you notice that axe head's gone Right you hear it break you look behind and spoosh The guy knows where the axe head is. It's it's like right there, within an arm's reach of the bank, right? Why doesn't he just go in and get it? Naaman just went into this river not long ago, right? It's not like some treacherous river. But it's a muddy river. And when the axe head sinks, you can't see it. And that apparently is a problem. He can't see it, and so it's like it's just gone. And Elisha, he, he just says, well, where is it? And so he throws a stick in, and I love it. He doesn't, like, levitate the whole axe head up and bring it over on dry land. He just has it come into view to the top of the water. And he's like, there it is. Reach out and get it it just makes me think of um, the problems we face that can seem overwhelming but God's provision is right there just out of sight and the only problem is we can't see it I think of um, you know maybe there's problems at work and you have things you have to solve, and get the job done with budget cuts and short staff, right? Or maybe it's a job opportunity that you need. Or maybe it's the love in your family that has just sunk and disappeared. I don't know what your need is, but Philippians 4.19 says, Our God will provide all your needs according to his glorious riches in christ jesus god's provision is right there you just need to be able to see it and you just gotta pray and ask god to open your eyes last week we read over and over again seek god and you will find him and you'll find his provision in your life the next story is also about God making things visible. Next verse, verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Well, the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing in that place. Because the king of Aram has gone down there. So the king of Israel checked the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard about such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Alrighty then, Uh, go, find out where he is, the king of Aram ordered, so I can send men and capture him. You know, because you can put a surprise attack on Elisha. (laughs) The report came back, he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed open his eyes Lord so that he may see Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes And he looked and saw the hills full of horses horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha As the enemy came down toward them Elisha prayed to the Lord strike this army with blindness So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked Elisha then met the army and told them this is not the road and this is not the city Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for And so he led them to samaria the capital of israel After they had entered the city Elisha said lord open the eyes of these men so they can see Then the lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside samaria When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you had captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. It's very clear from this passage that God cared not only about the Israelites, He also cared about the people and soldiers of Aram. And so while He stops the soldiers, He also protects their life. And He shows them great mercy. And we can just see how God is performing both of these Huge miracles, right? Naaman's healing, a very high-profile miracle. This other miracle to draw Israel and Aram back to him. But I love that in between these two stories of, like, international significance, there is sandwiched this little story about God helping a guy recover an accent. Which means there is no concern of yours that is too small for God to care about. There is no problem that is too small for him to get involved in and no problem that is too great for him to get involved in. I want to end our time by asking, what do you need God to open your eyes to? Where do you need God to give you spiritual sight? There's a lot of examples of it in the scriptures we just read. I think first of the slave girl. Do you need God to open your eyes to have compassion on the difficult people in your life? Sometimes all we see is our bad circumstances. And we do not see how God is giving us opportunity to change those circumstances. To be a light that changes people's lives. So, do acts of kindness. You know? Shovel your grumpy neighbor's driveway. Take cookies to them. Praise your annoying coworker in front of your boss. Serve with kindness like that little girl did. Be trustworthy so then you can share the good news of the God who can save them and they will trust and believe you. Do you need God to open your eyes to see difficult people with compassion? Maybe like Naaman, you need God to open your eyes to the miracle of baptism and how he can give you new life. Baptism, baptism is an act of faith where we come to God and we say, God, make us clean. Just wash us of our sin, wash us of our shame and our guilt and give us new life. And God raises you up out of baptism filled with his Holy Spirit so that you are no longer going through life on your own, trying to work everything out on your own and you're no longer enslaved to those selfish desires to those negative thoughts but you have the spirit of god and you bearing good fruit teaching you self-control goodness faithfulness teaching you and giving you peace and joy and love all of those things that's the miracle of baptism. Maybe you have been struggling for a long time just trying to feel better on the inside. And you've tried lots of different things. But the solution is as simple as being baptized. And letting God work that miracle in your life. Maybe like Jahazi, you've been focused on the material possessions of others. And you need to ask God to open your eyes to things of eternal value. Or like the man who lost his axe head. Maybe you need God's help to see his provision that is just below the surface. You're faced with some problem and you don't know what the answer is. And you just need God to open your eyes so you can see his provision so you can take a hold of it. Or maybe like Elisha's servant who came out and saw the city surrounded by an army. Maybe you need God to open your eyes to see how he is protecting and fighting for you. You can ask God to open your eyes and help you see where he is in the darkest moments of your life including the ones in the past where it seemed like god abandoned you You can ask him god. Where were you in that moment? And let him show you how he's working and fighting for you and protecting you We have prayer bowls at the front Here they're always here Um, We got this idea from the book of revelation there's some imagery there that um, paints a picture of God collecting our prayers in bowls. And and as the bowls overflow, it's like God's answers come raining down on earth. That's just beautiful imagery. And, and so um, we put these prayer bowls up here that if any time you want to come and put a prayer in here, you can. There's paper and pens in the baskets. If you fold the prayers, no one is going to read them. If you leave it unfolded, I will read it later in the week and pray for you also, all right? And you can sign those prayers or you can do that anonymously. But I encourage you, I'm going to pray here in a moment, um, to think about what you need God to open your eyes to. And pray that to Him. If you want to bring a prayer forward in the bowl, you can. And if after I pray you want to know more about baptism, you can meet me back there by the cross while the worship team sings, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are always at work even when we cannot see you. I wish... I wish that I could always see like your angels and your chariots of fire But maybe that would just be too overwhelming. I don't know, but it seems like it would make life easier God we pray for spiritual sight We pray that you'll open our eyes god for those who have felt Abandoned by you. I pray you open their eyes And show them how you still care and how you're still working to fight for them and protect them. God, for those that are facing problems they don't know how to solve, I pray you will open their eyes to see your provision that's lying right there. And show us how to grab a hold of it. God, when we struggle with difficult people, open our eyes so we will have compassion on them. Show us how to serve and be kind and give us the courage and the desire to share the good news about the God who can save them. And God, I pray. um, I pray for any of us who are struggling on the inside. That we will trust you and we will come to you in faith. And God, I pray you will increase our faith in the miracle of regeneration. How by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can make people new and give us new life. Help us believe in your work through baptism, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.